All right. Well, as the kids continue out, if you would, take your Bible. We're going to open to Matthew chapter 11. This would probably be a very good time to pray silently right where you are for the children's workers. Um, Might be a good idea. Also, if you're a member at First Baptist Church and you're sitting kind of near the edges and you feel so led, maybe sneak out and just go check on them and make sure they don't need need any any more help this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Feel free to pull out your phone if you have a copy of of God's Word on your phone through an app or accessing it that way, or if you have a Bible in front of you, the verses will be on the screen as well. But we're going to be looking at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Your Bible has two parts, an Old Testament that comes at the beginning and then a New Testament that takes about the last third, and Matthew is the first book in that, in that New Testament, the, the Gospels, the good news about Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to take a look at some of those verses this morning. You may be wondering, and, and I've been asked as well, did you change your sermon or direct your sermon to deal with the Supreme Court decision this week? And all I can tell you is it was Vacation Bible School week. So you can change your sermon at the last minute, but you got to be very, very careful about that. So no, I did not change my sermon to deal with that uh, Supreme Court decision. I will tell you a couple of things about that. Number one, coming up in late September, early October, we are going to have a couple of sermons directed to that issue. They were planned in advance for that time. It'll be good. It'll allow some of the rhetoric and some of these initial uh, first days and weeks to kind of go by, and then we're going to address that as we begin a new sermon series in the book of Daniel when we get into September. And Daniel is what your kids were learning about in Vacation Bible School this week, and so we're going to address that uh, coming up. And also, something very significant happened to me. I heard about the Supreme Court decision while I was leaving, helping out in crafts, and going to take out some trash that was beginning to overflow in one of the uh, trash barrels. And that actually became a very significant moment to me. Because at a time where we could yell and scream and panic and run around, there was something significant about most of our people were speaking to kids about Jesus. And they were taking out trash, and they were doing crafts, and they were serving and loving one another. And if we need any way to respond, let's respond like that. Let's serve one another. Let's love one another. Let's take out our neighbor's garbage. Let's invite people over for dinner. If we need an initial way to respond, let's respond that way. And we're going to deal with the issues and we're going to talk about it. But I think if anything, we can, we can do that together. Let's stand together right now for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Thanks for that. Uh, I can see. <laughs> All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then in verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. We're in the middle of a group of sermons and Bible studies about this question, who is God? In your program that you got when you came in this morning, if you look on the right inside, you'll see there are just a couple of very, very basic uh, sermon notes, but you can use those to, to follow along as we look at this question this morning. But, but we're asking the question, who is God? And we understand God as Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we're breaking that down and looking at that into detail, and it is a weighty topic, but I don't want you to hear it as a topic that people just argue about on Facebook or something that is at the peripheral of what we believe. This understanding of who God is and what we're talking about this morning for God to be Son and we talk about that in reference to who Jesus is, this is central to who we are as Christians, to who we are as a church. And the interesting thing about this is we live in a world in which even other religions have very particular beliefs about Jesus. There are all kinds of ideas out there about who Jesus is. And I want to introduce you to a few ideas about Jesus. We're going to see these up on the screen. The first is, you have maybe met this Jesus. This is called the hipster Jesus. Jesus, who wears skinny jeans, hangs out at coffee shops, and is way cooler than anybody you've met before, and you just want to be his friend because he is cool. Here's the second option. If you don't know hipster Jesus, this is tough guy Jesus, okay? This is the Jesus who lives in the wilderness and wears flannel and goes to church with Chuck Norris. And he is this tough guy that you feel like, man, I could, I could follow that. I'm curious with that. Anybody own a Jesus figurine? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to out you at that moment. But uh, here's another option that our culture has for Jesus. The flowing hair halo Jesus. This is the Jesus who seems to love everyone and just be kind to everyone and there's never anything that goes wrong in the world and everything is okay. And then finally is helper Jesus who wears the S on his chest and it's all about doing good to others, all about helping others. You never hear anything about the kingdom or repentance or forgiveness. We live in a world where there are many, many different ideas about who Jesus is. And one of the things we want to deal with this morning is what can we learn from the Bible? What can we learn from Scripture about who Jesus is? And then more importantly, why that matters. We're actually going to start not in Matthew 11, but we're going to have a verse on the screen, Ephesians chapter 1. These are some verses that we looked at last week. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, I keep asking That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. One of the interesting things about Paul's letters, Paul was one of the first missionaries and he spread the news about Jesus around a lot of the Roman world. But he wrote these letters and many of his letters include this combination of three words, Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is doing something very particular here where he is combining three words together so that we can have an idea, an understanding of who God the Son is. And so if anybody says, who is the second person of the Trinity? Who is God the Son? Who is Jesus? 
Paul gives us three, these three words together, Lord Jesus Christ. Each of them having a particular meaning, a particular aspect of who Jesus is, but, but in totality, they give us a picture. The word Lord is a word that in this time, in the Greek language, could just mean sir or master. It could be a term for respect, but it also could be a term for God, a term for a divine being. And by the time Ephesians is written and by the time the church begins to develop, kurios, this word for Lord, becomes connected with this idea of the divine. And there was a a tradition here that the divine brought both power and authority. That if someone was called Lord, what they said and what they did carried this power and this authority. I want to show you a couple of verses in the Bible that talk about Lord. In John chapter 20, verse 28, there's a man named Thomas. You may know him as Doubting Thomas. If you've gone to church some or went to Sunday school growing up, Doubting Thomas, after he doubts whether or not Jesus rose again from the grave, he encounters Jesus and he falls down before him and he says, my Lord and my God. If anyone ever tries to say or comes to you and says, Jesus was a good teacher, but no one really considered him to be God. John 20, 28 is very clear that Thomas comes and says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus does not rebuke him. He does not correct him. He accepts that exclamation from Thomas. And you can see later on in the book of Romans that Paul wrote, if you confess with your mouth and you notice in quotes, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord was the motto, so to speak, for the early followers of Jesus. The early church, if you said Jesus is Lord, you were identifying yourself as a Christian. And this was scandalous to say this. I know that we could stand up right now and say Jesus is Lord, and no one might think anything about it, But if you were a Jew, and you believed in only one God, and that God was Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you said about another person, he is Lord, this was blasphemy. This was scandal that you were identifying someone else with the God of the universe. But that's exactly what happens in the New Testament. Jesus comes to be seen as God, as as Lord. And if you weren't a Jew, if you were just a Gentile, if you were a part of the Roman Empire, I gave my answer away, part of the Roman Empire, the emperor was called Lord. And so for someone to stand up and say, Jesus is Lord, you were automatically saying that the emperor is not Lord. And that would cost you your life, and if not your life, it would definitely cost you your business business in the sense of your economic business. But what comes with this term Lord is the idea that we cannot just say that Jesus is a good teacher and a good person and that's the end of the story. A man named C.S. Lewis who was a famous Christian author of the 20th century, one of the things that C.S. Lewis said is that Jesus is either Lord, he is liar, or he is lunatic. For someone to do the things that Jesus did and to say the things that Jesus said, 
Either he was out of his mind, he was lying, or he was really Lord of the universe. Those are the options we have. And so what we can't say about Jesus is he was just a good man. He just wore skinny jeans and hung out at coffee shops. That, that won't work. That, that does not match up with what we see in Scripture. Because it says he is Lord Jesus Christ. That term Jesus that comes in the middle, we get that from Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 where the angel appears to Joseph and Mary. The angel appears to Joseph in Matthew 1 and says that you were going to name, if you guys could go to the next slide for, for Matthew chapter one. The angel of the Lord said to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Paul, back in Ephesians chapter one, when he puts Lord and Jesus together, he is doing something very significant. And let me tell you what he's doing. The word Lord means that Jesus, God the Son, is fully divine. He is fully God. When he puts the name Jesus on him, he is saying that he is fully human. He was not a pretend person. He was not half human, half God. What Paul is saying is he was fully God and he was fully human. The fancy theology word, and I think this is in your program in the notes. If it's not, I meant to put it there. The fancy theology word is incarnation, meaning that God the Son took on flesh, became perfectly and fully human. He didn't lay aside his God nature. He didn't get rid of being God when he was born as a man. He remained fully God, but he also became fully man. And you say, it's been a long week, man. I don't, I don't need this this morning. This is way too confusing. Here's what we want to do, though. We just want to put together these concepts that Paul is giving us. And then here in a second, we're going to ask why it matters. And then I'll let you know, in, in a couple of weeks, as we continue to talk about who is God, we're going to dive in a little bit sl- more slowly, uh, give it a little bit more time on understanding who Jesus is and how that compares with other religious groups in, in the world today. But when he says, Lord Jesus, it's as if Paul is saying, God, man. And then he tags another word onto the end, and it's the word Christ. The word Christ. The word Christ is the same as the word Messiah. And it meant someone who had received special power or special designation to complete a task. And so what Paul is telling us about Jesus is that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of God's story. Everything that God has been doing in the Old Testament, and this is something that your kids learned this week. If, if you talk to your kids about what they learned this week, they learned about Daniel and how the story of Daniel points us to who Jesus is. And, and this idea that Jesus would be the Christ. We have a, a verse related to Jesus being the Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. Look what Jesus does with his disciples at this point. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. This is like going out in public today and asking someone who is Jesus and you get tons of different answers. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ 
the son of the living God. Jesus, perfectly unique, perfectly powerful to do only what God could do. That when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about another religious figure. We're not just talking about someone that you learned about in Sunday school. We are talking about the Lord of the universe who became fully man so that he would take on our sin and our pain and our brokenness and he would do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Back there in Ephesians chapter one, I want to see, you to see a couple of verses that Paul adds on to the end. Verses 19 through 21. God's power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ. There's that same word we saw before. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Lord Jesus Christ. That is who God the Son is. But then we want to ask the question, so what? Why does that matter? Where does that connect with who we are and the things that are going on in our world and in our lives? This is where Matthew chapter 11 comes into play. If you still have your phone open or your Bible open to Matthew chapter 11, we're going to go back to those verses just for just a couple of minutes and look at the question, if Jesus is so great, what is the result of that? What is the purpose of that? Verse 28, Jesus says to the disciples, and, and really not just the disciples, but all the people that he was speaking to at this point, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you're human, and you're anything like me this morning, two words will jump out to you really quickly, weary and burdened. Now, it's dangerous to talk about being weary to a group of adults who just volunteered a week at Vacation Bible School, okay? If you want to see weary, you look at one of our adults on Thursday morning of Vacation Bible School, and that is the definition of weary. Someone who is just completely beat, completely exhausted. And the reality is, is that you may be here this morning, and you didn't need to volunteer at Vacation Bible School for me to tell you that you are tired, we live in a world where people are more weary, more exhausted, more tired than they've ever, begin, ever been before. And the interesting thing is the way that this tracks down to teenagers, middle schoolers, even little kids. It, for those of you who work in schools, uh, public schools or private schools, public schools like my parents have, I, I've heard my parents talk about in their experience of teaching how they see kids so much more tired and exhausted and just weary with life than, than they ever have before. We live in that type of world right now. And it says weary and burdened. That word burdened in your Bible, and especially the word burdened down in verse 30, that is the same word that shows up in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. Matthew 23, verse 4, Jesus is talking to the disciples, I mean the 
not the disciples, the Pharisees. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees tie up heavy, cumbersome loads. I don't know why the translators did this, but the word loads there is the same word as burden back in Matthew chapter 11. They tie up these loads and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The word burden is connected to this type of religion where all of these extra man-made traditions were added upon people so that they could think that they were right with God. The Pharisees were famous for having 613 rules that defined what it meant to follow God's law, to do what God wanted them to do. Most of us, and especially our kids, can't follow five rules, much less 613 rules that you had to follow in order to be right with God. But here's what I want to tell you this morning, and and I say this from a place of vulnerability, and I say this from a place that we need to be very careful with this. Weariness and burden in relation to religion comes in a lot of different forms. You remember that story in Luke chapter 10, there were two ladies named Mary and Martha. Martha was busy working, she was running around the house trying to get things ready, and there was Mary who broke all of the social norms of the day and came just to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him, and to be able to know him, and to rest in him. And Martha is upset because she's running around trying to get things done. If we're not careful, our involvement in church and our involvement with religion will look like running around trying to do things for God instead of just coming to God and resting in him. Some of you, your word connection with religion is burned out, or your word connection with religion is tired. You may have had experiences in your church growing up as a kid. You may have even moved away from church for a while because you were just tired of religion. You were tired of all of these man-made traditions being added onto you, and you said, I just can't do this. I'm just tired of it. And and I have to admit that, that standing in the place that I do you may have that feeling right now, and it may be in relation to me. And, and I accept that, and I feel vulnerable in that, and I just want to say that I'm sorry if that's the case, because what we should be doing is we should be pointing people toward Jesus to say it's not about running around doing as much as you can for him. It's about doing what he says in verse 28. What does he say? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. If you know people who are exhausted in life and they are exhausted with trying to measure up to certain standards and they're exhausted because they're trying to live for a particular tradition or religion or God, the answer, and this is at the core of what it means to be a Christian, the answer is come to me. Come to me and you will find rest. But then he uses a parallel statement down in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. So come to me and take my yoke upon you. Those are not two steps. Those are two sides of the same coin. Because a yoke 
was obviously a, a form, you know, a piece of wood that would go across two animals when they were pulling a plow or pulling, uh, my words are filling me up, pulling a wagon. You get the idea. Go with me. I should have put a picture on the screen because I just, apparently I was weary and burdened right there. But uh, there was a yoke that the animals would use to pull a plow. But here's the interesting thing. And, and next to the word yoke, if you like to write notes in your Bible, next to the word yoke, write the word disciple. Because in this culture, when someone wanted to learn, they wouldn't sign up for an online class. They would go and find a teacher, and they would yoke themselves to that teacher. They would live with the teacher, follow the teacher, learn from the teacher. And so Jesus is saying, come to me and yoke yourself to me. Learn from me, follow me, trust me, and I will show you the way to go. I will show you true life. So this is not come to Jesus and do whatever you want. This is come to Jesus and give yourself to him. Give him full authority in your life. And then down there it says, for my yoke, or take my yoke up on you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Here's what I've realized and I find this true in my own life. One of the tripping points or stumbling points with Christianity, and this particularly pertains to guys, is everything inside of us resists the idea of being yoked to something. What it is, is guys especially, and this I know women fall into this category as well, but especially as guys, we don't need no help. I might be tired, I might be weary, I might be burdened, but doggone it, I'm going to figure it out on my own. And even if I fall down in the process, I'm going to do it on my own. And Jesus says that the answer is to come to him, submit to him, and take his yoke upon us. A couple of responses to that. The first is, no matter how independent we are, and no matter how much we value our own freedom and our own determination, all of us are yoked to something. Because what you're yoked to is what you live for. And we all live for something. And so this idea that I'm Mr. Independent, I'm Miss Independent, I don't live for anybody else or anything else, you do. And, and I do too. Our lives are always connected to something. And then the next part of that is so often I'll think something or I'll hear something like, I don't need Jesus or church because that's just a crutch. Church is a crutch for people who aren't able to stand up on their own two feet and aren't able to live life of their own determination. Can I tell you that according to God's word, Jesus, Christianity, church, it's not a crutch, it's actually a yoke. And a yoke is not for the purpose of limping along. A yoke is for the purpose of getting things done. And this is something very interesting that we miss out, especially when we talk to guys about what it means to follow Jesus, is we're not saying come to church and find a crutch for your weakness. We're saying come to Jesus, yoke yourself to him, and you're gonna get more done than you ever did before. Because at the end he says, my yoke is light, and it is easy. When we would play baseball, 
and stand on the, uh, you know, the, on deck and you were getting ready to hit, a lot of times what I would do is I would either swing a weighted bat or I would swing two bats at the same time. Now, some coaches don't like this. I always found it really helpful. Uh, but you would swing a weighted bat or you would swing two bats. Then when you got ready to go to the plate, you dropped one so that when you got to the plate, it felt lighter. It felt like you were in a position to get something done because you could control the bat. Jesus says, you don't need to live under your own strength, your own power, because it's not possible. The wages of sin is death. We can make it our own for a while, but at a certain point, we will just give out. But Jesus gives rest. And it's rest that is that deep REM slobber on your pillow type of rest. It's that rest that brings calm and peace and stability. When everything else is falling down, when the storms of life are going on, Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest. Artists and athletes call it being in the zone. Everything slows down. Everything seems easy. You just live the life that's set in front of you. When you think about church, when you think about Jesus, when you think about Christianity, I pray that you will think, Lord Jesus Christ, God, man, perfect rescuer. And that when people say, you know what, you don't need that, it's a crutch, you're just being weak, he would say it's not a crutch, it's a yoke. And I've come to Jesus and I have found peace and I have found life and I have found perfect forgiveness for all of my sins and all of the brokenness in my past. We're gonna call a little bit of, a, of an audible on the end of the service right now. If you would, would you just bow your head with me and, and close your eyes? I want us to end in, in this way.